Lord, we love you for your great and incredible grace that you pour out on each of us. We thank you, Father, that because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is accounted for. What an incredible truth that we got to sing, that we study in your word. It's just so fantastic. And we are so grateful. I pray, Father, for your hand to guide us tonight, to speak to us, to give us grace, to hear your word as we study 1 Samuel. May you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was last week we were in 1 Samuel, right? Does that make sense to everybody? Uh, And we, we looked at chapter 25, where David had an issue with a guy named Foolish, Nabal. His name means Foolish. And what we got to see, for the most part, other than a little bit of deceit here and there, which is never good and never right, for the most part, David has been, you know, pretty focused on the Lord, pretty um, good about trusting him for the situation he was in as he was running from Saul, who kept trying to kill him. But then this thing happened with Nabal. And he apparently just had enough. And he said, you know what? He, they had watched over the sheep, took care of Nabal's guys, asked for some food. Nabal basically called him a, a treasonous little, you know, whelp. And David's like, oh yeah, fine. I'm going to kill you and every man in your house. I've been called names before. Never has my response been that I'm going to kill that person and every male in their household. I feel like David's response was a little much. Abigail hears about it. She makes everything right. Nabal kicks off, and David, being the stand-up guy that he is, like, you know, Nabal died in the morning, and that afternoon he and Abigail were married. I don't know if it was exactly that fast, but that was the general idea. Now, with that, we pick up in chapter 26. Now, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hekilah, opposite Jeshimon? Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul encamped in the hill of Hekilah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. So David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner. I've always loved, I hate to break up because we're reading the word of God, but I've always loved Abner because it literally means, his name means son of Ner. But every time they say Abner, the son of Ner. So it's the son of Ner, the son of Ner. I keep telling people, we have lost it with with good names these days. They just knew how to name people back then. Right? I should have named John Absin, son of Jason. No. Verse 6. 
So, while Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped around him, and David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go. I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with a spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. And Abishai said to David, God has delivered your... I'm, I'm assuming he whispered. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. I will not have to strike him a second time. And David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So if you remember, it was just a couple chapters ago when, when Saul cried out to David, Oh, David, my son, my son. You are more righteous than I. Surely you will be king in Israel and you will be blessed. Please, you know, take care of my family and I promise I'm not going to try to kill you. Well, that didn't last very long now, did it? Here he is out there trying to kill him. And then you got these Ziphites who ratted David out to Saul. David sends out spies. Obviously, they find out, yes, Saul is there. And I can't help but admire just a little bit the chutzpah of David. And then the additional chutzpah of Abishai. Going down to Saul, a man who's there to kill him, surrounded by 3,000 choice soldiers. And he looks at his guys, and these are the guys that are going to become uh, David's mighty men. We're going to read about them later on. Uh, and he goes, hey, who wants to go on a suicide walk with me? Because if anybody woke up, then they all would have woken up. And that was it. I, I don't know what David was hoping to accomplish. But Abishai says, yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Let's do it. So they go down. And again, David has the opportunity to kill Saul, but he will not allow Abishai to do so. And basically, he says, the Lord's going to take care of it, right? Um, I love this. The, the Lord will kill him, or he'll die of old age, or he'll go out to battle and he'll die. It was the third one that'll actually happen in just a couple chapters. But he goes, we're not going to do this. We're not, we cannot stretch out our hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. So he says, instead, let's steal the spear and the water jug, and we'll get out of here. And that's what they do. Now, this is... We're going to learn one lesson here, but this is a lesson that David does not hold on to for very long. Psalm 37, verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What a beautiful psalm. Right? This idea that, you know what? I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to worry about it. Instead, I'm going to commit myself to God, and God is going to take care of it. And that's what we see him doing here in the camp of Saul. He could have ended it right there. 
And he said, no, God's going to take care of it. Commit your way to the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. And interestingly enough, it's David who wrote those words in Psalm 37. I think it's good wisdom for all of us. Uh, I was having a conversation with a young man today, and we were, we were simply talking about the, the fact that it's so easy to get distracted by things and have those distractions take our eyes off the Lord. And I love it because he walked in and he's a fairly new believer and, and he said, you know, uh, I, I was reading Matthew and I got to Matthew 6.33 and that's my verse. Um, I need the first word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And it's in the context of chapter 6 where God just over and over again tells us not to worry. And I love that. So he said, instead of worrying, instead of being distracted, just keep your eyes on me, and I'll take care of it. I love that advice. That's what Psalm 37 said, and that's what David said to Abishai. No, we're just going to trust that God is going to deal with this. Unfortunately, he's going to have a lapse of faith in a little bit. Verse 13. Now David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill afar off, and great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? Who are you, sorry, comma, calling out to the king? I didn't read it that way. So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. David, so the first thing David does is he pokes the bear, right? Abner, I thought you were a man. Not a nice thing to say to the commander of the army of Israel, right? I thought you were a man. Don't you answer? Aren't you a man? Is anybody like you in Israel? But you were supposed to be guarding Saul. Instead, you fell asleep, and I took his spear in his water jug. You deserve to die. Bold, bold statement when David has 600 men who are hungry and tired and have been running and hiding, and Abner's down there with command of 3,000. Uh, but it was true, falling asleep, while you were supposed to be guarding the city? Um, I mean, that's how the law reads. Requires your blood. Here, he fell asleep while he was supposed to be guarding Saul. Honestly, Saul should have killed him for it. Verse 17. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? At this point, David replies, It is my voice, my lord the king. I think in my heart, is that your voice, my son David? Shut up. You keep lying to me and you keep trying to kill me. Don't pull out this my son David garbage. You don't think of me that way, you murderous liar. That's kind of, I think, what I would have responded with. But at least at this point, David's doing a little better than I would. It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? 
Or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. I love this statement. He goes, If I've done something wrong, I will go to the tabernacle. I will make the proper offerings. If it's God who has stirred you up against me because of some, of, some sort of sin, he goes, but if it's just other people who are trying to convince you that I've done wrong, then let God deal with them and let me come home. That's essentially what he says there. Verse 20, so now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day, indeed I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David in answer said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. And Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So Saul recognizes David's voice, and basically they have the same conversation that they had back in chapter 24. He tells Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. What have I done wrong? He shows humility. He shows integrity. And Saul agrees. And he says, yeah, you're right. You haven't done anything wrong. I've sinned. I've been foolish. I have erred exceedingly. And he blesses David. And they both go their own way. Saul's confession of his foolishness and error, uh, according to Pastor Chuck, is an accurate autobiography. Saul has been foolish. Even before he started trying to kill David, Saul has been foolish. Saul has made many mistakes. Saul had the opportunity to be a great man in the history of Israel. And I know we've talked about this a couple times, but I can't help. It just keeps coming back to me. So I'm, I'm assuming it's the Holy Spirit. He had a great opportunity to be a great man. But because of his pride, because of his disobedience to God, his foolishness cost him his potential. We started talking about this all the way back with Samson. Samson's pride and, and sexual sin cost him his potential. We got into 1 Samuel and we start looking at Eli and his sons and his unwillingness to be obedient to the law, his unwillingness to discipline his children led to him not living up to his potential. Then you get Samuel, right? Samuel does a pretty good job. But then you get Saul, and again, his foolishness. Now, this could happen to us, folks. I throw this out there as a warning to each of us, to myself included, that we could let our own foolishness, we could let our own uh, exceedingly great errors cost us our potential. Or, unlike Saul, 
we can confess our foolishness. We can confess our errors. We can bring that foolishness to the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9 reminds us that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Failure to do so will cost us much more than it costs all. However, when we do confess to God, and he will forgive us, and he will work wonderfully in our lives so that we can become the people he created us to be. That's the whole point of that song, uh, Open Heaven, is that we want his glory to come down, we want his grace to come down, we want him to work in our hearts, and we want to surrender to that work. As we were talking about last Sunday, it's only when we do that that we will find spiritual satisfaction to any degree. Chapter 27. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moab, that guy, king of Gath. Maok, Mocha. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. But notice verse 4. Right? Back up there in um, 21 of the last chapter, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. It was told Saul that David had fled, so he sought him no more, which meant he was still seeking him. I mean, Saul went back on his word like that. He didn't even last a week. So here's the issue. David is smart enough to know that Saul lied and is going to keep trying to kill him. David knows that. Uh, David is even convinced that Saul will succeed. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. So not only is he convinced that Saul lied, he is convinced that Saul will succeed in killing him. What's the problem with that? He was convinced of a lie was convinced of a lie because God had done what? God told David that he would be king. So right now, in David's heart, you have uh, a competition going on. You have a competition between the truth of God, where God promised David that he would be king on more than one occasion, mind you, and you have a lie that David has believed, right? I'm guessing a lie from the the the, uh, uh, the deceiver from Satan um, that David has believed in his heart, and you have this little competition going on. And and the big problem is David decided to believe the lie instead of believing the truth. So David begins to lack faith, not in Saul. Saul deserved no faith, but God does. And because of that, David seeks to fix his own problem when God has promised him that he will take care of it. 
And this has been confirmed on multiple occasions. And David even confirmed it in the last chapter. God's going to deal with this. We don't have to do it. And I think this becomes our thinking when we begin to lack faith and doubt God's promises. The moment we think we can take care of ourselves better than God can, we are in so much trouble. David's rash and wrong decision here is going to lead to him and his men committing some pretty heinous and sinful behavior uh, that we're going to see in a little bit. And I think we are often given this choice. Uh, and, and here is, is, if you put it in psychological terms, we have the choice between responding to our emotional brain or our logical brain. Uh, I know I struggle with this uh, personally, that my logical brain will tell me A, B, and C, will remind me of what the Word of God says, will remind me of God's past faithfulness, and will remind me that you know I'm supposed to trust in Him. And then my emotional brain gets involved. But, but what if, but, but. And, and this battle at times rages inside of my mind, inside of my spirit. We sang in, in one of the songs that we will have war without and fear within. And it, that, that line always strikes me because that describes me more often than I wish it did. I really wish it didn't describe me all that much, but it does. And that was David's issue here. His logical brain's telling him, hey, God's going to take care of it. He has delivered you out of Saul's hand over and over and over again. He has promised you that you're going to sit on the throne of Israel. It's going to be okay. But in his heart, nope, one day God, uh, Saul's going to kill me. Right? And that battle led David into this idea that he could take care of it himself. I'm thinking David forgot about Holt. You remember Holt? We talked about that last week. We should never make a decision when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, or when we're tired. Now, I had this idea, and I'm going to float this out there. You do it with it what you want that we should, we should call it a change halt to shout. Right? We should put an S on the beginning. Because I don't think we should make decisions when we're scared. Right? And I'm trying to think, well, you're not really scared when you're hungry. You're not really scared when you're angry. Sometimes you might be scared when you're lonely, but not all the time. And you're not usually scared when you're tired. So I kind of want to put the S at the beginning. We could call it halts. But I want to make it shout. Shout is not stupid. We can take a vote on it later. But that's David's problem. His emotions, this lie he's believing has made him scared. And as a result, he makes some pretty bad decisions. Um, Part of verse 1, he makes this comment, I should speedily ex escape. I almost said escape. There's no X in escape. Why do you think Satan wants us to make decisions quickly? Because we don't seek God. 
right? Do you see David praying? Right? He had a priest with him. Do you see David asking the priest to make a sacrifice or use the, the urim and thummim? Or, or, no. Satan likes to rush us into something because we're usually going to make a stupid decision, like putting the S before halt instead of after. He's trying to get us to act without prayer and without seeking God for his will and guidance. And if God wants it for you, it will be there once you've prayed and once you've sought him. You're not going to run out of time. That's, that's just how God works. You, you don't have to make a speedy decision. You don't have to rush into something. You have to seek God. And make sure that what you're doing is what he wants you to do. And if you seek after God and whatever it was passes you by, well, then God didn't want it for you. And if you seek after God and you realize that God wants it for you, well, then it's going to be there waiting. It's that simple. One of the things I appreciate about the Bible so much is that those who have come before us, we get to see their failures. We get to see their shortcomings. Romans 15.4 tells us that these things are written for our learning. So let's learn from David in this moment because the consequence of his foolish decision begins in verse 5. David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the those people, the Jerahimelites, I didn't practice that, I should have, and the, and the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Now, chapter 28, verse 1. Now, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. So David goes to Achish and says, Hey, give me my own city. You, I, I don't need to stay here in the capital with you. So he says, fine, take Ziklag. From Ziklag, David begins to plunder 
the surrounding nations, killing all the people so there would be witnesses. And when he comes back to Achish, he lies and tells Achish that he was plundering his own people in southern Judah, a lie which David believes, and he believes it to such an extent that he thinks David has become loyal to him, asks David to go to war with him, and actually appoints David, this chief guardian here, he appoints David as a personal bodyguard. That's what that phrase means. David was committing theft. David was committing murder. David was then lying about it. Now, I guess if you're a thief and a murderer, you probably should lie about it. You don't want to tell everybody. But this is not the man after God's own heart that we look back and admire, is it? At least not in my mind. This, my dear brothers and sisters, this is what happens when we make rash decisions without seeking the Lord, when we listen to our emotions instead of listening to his truth, when we listen to the lies of our enemy instead of what God has told us. I do do, I want to, I do do, I do want to note that the Amalekites are listed there. Did anybody else pick up on that? Saul was supposed to destroy the Amalekites about 15 chapters back. They're still around, and they're going to be around for a while. Now, chapter 28. I think we have time. Verse 3. Now, Samuel had died. Sorry, give that little reminder. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Hey, Saul did something good. And the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So we'll stop there for a moment. Samuel's dead. Saul is freaking out at the size of the Philistine military force that he's facing. And Saul, which is pretty atypical for him at this point, he tries to inquire of the Lord, right? He's hoping that he'll have a dream or that one of his prophets will have dreams. None of that. He's hoping that one of the prophets will receive a word. None of that. He consults the Urim through the high priest. Nothing. The Lord did not answer him. Because we know the Lord had left Saul. Now, we have the word of God. We have the spirit of God living inside of us. And 99.99% of the time, if we need an answer, we can look into God's word and trust that his Holy Spirit will give us an answer. However, you may find 
uh, from time to time in your life. Hopefully these times are very distant from one another, but you may find from time to time in your life that you can't get the answer. Now, typically what that means is that the answer is wait. But there are those times, and what I have discovered, and this may not always be the case, but what I have discovered when I can't get an answer from the Lord, it's usually because I'm trying to take step two before I've taken step one. Usually that's what has happened. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I told you what to do, and you haven't done that yet. So when you do that, then we'll worry about what's next. That's just my experience, and we see it happen in Scripture too. So Saul, desperate, says, find me a medium. And they said, well, there's one down at Endor. Literally means fountain of dwelling. Really a cool name. Um, so Saul goes to her in disguise and requests a seance, or he asks her to practice divination. Verse 9. The woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? So she clearly didn't recognize him. Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He just swore by the name of Jehovah that if she calls upon demonic spirits for him, nothing bad will happen. Don't swear by the name of God that you can call upon a demon and nothing is bad is going to happen, that's, it's not going to work. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, so apparently she was the only one, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? You, you're Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth, so he said to her, what is its form? And she said, an old man coming up, he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Why is he worshiping the woman who's seeing Samuel? Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me? Why did you wake me up? He wasn't really asleep. Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophet nor by dream. Therefore, I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Samuel said, Why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or night. I love this scene. The seance worked. The woman was surprised, right? Because she knew she was a huckster. I'm kind of thinking that God actually gave her a vision of Samuel as opposed to Samuel actually physically returning. Um, it's just my thought since she was the only one who could see it. I don't know. Because I really don't have a reason for why God would allow the seance to work. This is not a practice that he would honor. In fact, 
He commands that those who practice such things should be put to death in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14. So I, I don't think God honored it. I think God did something, but I don't necessarily think the seance worked. Now, there are those who practice such things today. This uh, past summer, when they were having the farmer's market downtown, um, I was not shocked, but disturbed to see a person there with their little booth set up offering for, I can't remember, 10 or $15 to throw your tarot cards. So you want me to pay you $10 so a demon can lie to you about me. And um, I couldn't figure out what that was. It's fine. She's great. Um, I was just trying to figure out what the noise was. Um, so a demon can lie to you and you can pretend to know something about my future because you played a game of Uno. Right? That's just not how it works. I believe that those today, those who claim they can contact the spirits of dead loved ones or, or whatnot, I, I truly believe they are either possessed by or at the very least communing with, with demons, with the demonic. Um, that's why we as followers of Christ will have nothing to do with it. I just won't. I never should. Never should even be tempted by it. You want to know something about your future? Read the Bible. The Bible tells us where we're going. Right? You want to know how you should take a specific action in your life? Read the Bible. The Bible will give you guidance and wisdom. And ask, you can ask God to show you. You don't need magical uno. You don't need you know, to burn incense and candles and to smoke a joint and try to call up some demon to tell you about your future. It's stupid. Don't do it. Not only does God command us not to do it, Anytime anybody, and I don't care who they are, communes with, opens themselves up in any way to the demonic, it does not end well. It does not end well. So why did God allow this to take place? I have a theory. It's just a theory. I don't know why. It's just a theory, right? The Bible doesn't say this anywhere. It's just a theory. I want to say that many times. So you understand that I am not about to give you truth. I'm about to give you an opinion. I think it's because uh, God wanted to scare the daylights out of Saul. I do. Personal opinion. Nothing in scripture to back that up. But I think it's an interesting thought. Samuel reiterates the message that he had given to Saul a long time before this, years earlier that Saul had had the kingdom torn away from him. And then Samuel adds, and by the way, you and your kids are going to die tomorrow. That's that phrase, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And the Philistines, well, they're going to defeat the military force of Israel. And at this point, Saul breaks. This building psychosis that we have been looking at for the last 14, 15 chapters, he's finally done. I don't know if his mind at this point just snaps or what happens uh, exactly, but he falls to the ground and there was no strength in him. Now, the Bible does tell us he hadn't eaten anything and that, that could have been part of it, but he just broke. I do want to point something out before we finish this off. Samuel asked him, why did you bring me up? 
And I think this is an inkling to what Jesus taught us when he recounted the rich man and Lazarus up in Luke 16. The rich man was in a place of torment while Lazarus was comforted in a place called Abraham's bosom. Now, before Jesus' resurrection, those who died in belief, right, those who were looking forward to the Messiah, they went to Abraham's bosom where they were comforted. When Jesus died, he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. He told us that's what would happen, where he preached to those who were captives. And when he rose from the grave, he led those captives into the presence of God. We read about that in Ephesians 4, verse 8. The other side, Hades, is a place of torment where those who die rejecting Christ, those who died rejecting belief in the coming Messiah before his arrival, and those who die now rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ wait for their final judgment in Revelation chapter 20. I am grateful that for those of us who die in Christ, we are given the privilege of going directly into the presence of God 2 Corinthians 5 8 tells us we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. But for those who die apart from Christ, they go to a place of torment where they await their final judgment. So we often get hell, Hades, mixed up with Gehenna. Hades, hell, is kind of like the county jail. That's where you wait to go before the judge. When you go before the judge, you are then cast into the lake of fire. Not you, but people who have, right, no judgment at the moment. You're all going to hell. No, that's not, that's not the message I'm preaching. But for the person who has rejected Christ, they wait there until the final judgment. Then they appear before the great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20. And that's why up in that chapter we are told that Hades gives up its dead. It gives up those who were being held for that final judgment where then they will be eternally condemned to the lake of fire, or Gehenna. Two different things. The lake of fire is like the federal penitentiary. Right? You're in county jail, you go before the judge, the judge sentences you to life, and then you go to wherever it is that you're going to serve out that sentence. That is exactly what we see. So it's very possible that when Saul said that, he would have been in Abraham's bosom. He would have been receiving comfort. And maybe God said, hey, you know, I, I need a favor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you go back for a few minutes just to freak Saul out. Maybe that's not what happened at all. Maybe it was just a vision that God gave the woman. I don't know. But whatever the case, I find that interesting. I hope you do too. Verse 20. So immediately, Saul full, full length on the ground. He was dreadfully afraid. Because of the words of Samuel, there was no strength. He had eaten no food, or night, no food all day or night. And the woman came to Saul and saw him, that he was severely troubled, and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in your hands, and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. He rose from the ground and sat on the bed, and the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it, and she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And then he arose and went away that night. Just boggles my mind. 
you would think, just throwing this out there, that at the word of Samuel, through this woman, however that really came about, that Saul would have fallen on his knees and cried out to God and said, Lord, I've blown it. I, I know that the kingdom is no longer mine. I know that I deserve to die. And if that's your will, so be it. But I realize what I've done, and I'm sorry. Right? You would think. I've been there. Anybody else? I've been there on a few occasions where the Lord is, well, okay, more than a few. Um, I've been there a few occasions, you know, in the last couple months, but um, I've been there more than once where God has rebuked me straight out, either from his word or in prayer or from uh, a brother or sister in the Lord, and just straight up, you're wrong. And I didn't go, well, fine, I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to die. I've fallen on my knees in tears and said, oh, yeah, I know. I know I'm wrong. And I know I don't deserve to be forgiven again. But please, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus died for it. Nothing from Saul. Nothing at all. Next week, I'm actually kind of hoping we'll finish 1 Samuel. We've got three chapters to go. Um, in chapter um, 29, uh, David is ready to go to war with the Philistines. I'm kind of thinking David had nefarious plans that he was going to turn on the Philistines while they were in battle. Um, but God doesn't allow that. The Philistines will not let David go to war with them. So David and his men will head back, find out that their precious city of Ziklag has been plundered. So they have to go deal with that. Um, and then if we make it to the final chapter of 1 Samuel, we will see Saul's death. Until then, let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you for your great love for me. I thank you that over and over and over and over again, you have forgiven me for my stupidity. And Father, I thank you that you give us examples like David, both his good examples and his poor ones. Give us wisdom, God. Give us strength when the lies of the enemy or the lies even we tell ourselves because we're listening to our emotions instead of listening to your truth begin to derail us. Help us keep our eyes focused on you. I pray as we go about the rest of our week, Father, that you would guide us, that you would lead us by your spirit and that we would listen and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.